1992, it would have been, it would have been uh, December, January time frame. Yes, uh, my wife and I were both now wife, but we were 17 years old. We were juniors in high school going to a Christian school. We had sex outside of marriage, obviously. And um, early part of that year, she, um, I know she missed a day of school. And when she came uh, back, she said, I, I need to talk to you. And, okay, you know, we're, we're kind of dating, all this stuff. And, and um, she said, I, I went to the doctor. And I said, well, what, you know, I mean, what did you go to the doctor for? And she said, well, you need to know I'm, I'm pregnant. And, um, and I'm going to be honest with you, that is a shock. When you're 17 years old, you, know, you think it'll never happen to you just because of once, right? And, and so there I am, um, 17 years old, and finding out that, that the girl that I'm dating is, is pregnant. And so over the next few, uh, few uh, really about a, a week or so, I guess, uh, we were just trying to figure out what was going on and, and at 17, you're not wanting to talk to anybody. Uh, uh, our friends at the time knew, and and uh, Michelle finally had to tell her um, grandmother that all of you have mainly met Mutter, everybody calls her, that came and visited. And her great-grandfather, who was still alive, was a judge here in town, uh, Ed Harwell. And so she had to tell them, and... And so um, Ed asked whether I had told my parents yet or not. And of course, I had not told my parents yet. And um, so on a Saturday night or a Saturday afternoon, uh, he sent word to me that if I did not tell my parents by the next morning that he would call them and tell them. Um, my dad, as you guys know, is a pastor, and um, so that that was kind of the big concern was, uh, from my standpoint, was telling my parents. Um, they're they're very um, they're very straightforward and very straight laced, and and so having to communicate that, I, as 17 years old, I was pretty much terrified. Um, and now I've got. I don't have any choice. I have to do it or else somebody else is going to tell, which is, I know is not going to be good. On Saturdays, my mom would always go and they would have church music practice. So she would practice with individuals and groups and all this stuff and get back, you know, say 8.30 or 9 o'clock at night. And I'm thinking, okay, it's going to be 9. Well, Dad goes to bed early um, always. And so I'm thinking maybe that I'm going to just, just going to time out it's got to be just right. Well, my mom gets back and she says, I left some stuff at the church. You've got to go with me and we've got to go back to the church, which is from their house out in Coldwater all the way back to Weaver and then back. When we get home, I'm not talking the whole time. Um, my dad is in the bed asleep. And, and I said, um, I, I need to tell you guys something. And she said, look, you can wait till in the morning. Your dad's asleep. I'm going, no, I, I promise it, it, it can't wait till in the morning. And she said, well, just leave the light off. You know, you don't really want to wake your dad up. And obviously he's got to preach in the morning. And, and um, 
And so uh, we wake Dad up. She says, uh, you know, Harold, he's, he's got, Nathan's got something. He's just got to, says he has to tell us. And so I, I tell my mom and dad that the, that the girl that I'm dating is pregnant. And all of the things that you can imagine, the, this can't be, there's a mistake, it's not yours, um, you know, all of this stuff. And, um, and my dad got so worked up uh, in the process of all of that that he had a heart attack. Um, we were prime candidates for someone to say you should have an abortion. And someone did. Someone told us, you know, and, and I'm still here thinking about that. I've got to tell my dad that, and this was prior, I've got to tell him. I had all these fears. I never had a fear that he would have a heart attack or anything like that. But someone told us, said, you, you, you guys should just have an abortion and nobody would have to know. Nobody else would have it. This is going to ruin you guys' lives. This is, this is the end. You, uh, everything that you've worked toward. We were juniors. We weren't yet through our, our junior year in school. And so then we tell, and we tell my dad and, and uh, my mom and dad. And really for a, a couple of years, um, I, had, um, I, had, I had nightmares for about two years. Um, I, I would wake up in the night and, and think that my dad had, I would see it again and I would think my dad had died. Um, for a lot of people that are facing an unexpected pregnancy and, and are questioning what to do, they think through all of those things and they, they're afraid of what will happen and all the things that will, that will take place and what's going to change. And so sometimes it just seems so much easier to just say, let's make this all go away. I was sitting at, at a luncheon for Save Life here just a few weeks back with pastors from all over. It was the largest gathering they've had. I think there were 40-some-odd churches represented, pastors there. Dr. J is what everybody calls uh, Dr. Johansson here in town. Dr. J spoke. And I, I really thought it when, it when he got up, uh, Dr. J's from California, and... and uh, and he's been growing his practice here. And, and he said, man, I'm nervous. He's a young guy. I mean, he's a really sharp guy. And he says, I, I, I'm, I'm nervous. And they, they allow me speaking. So as he's speaking, I'm thinking, man, he really is kind of nervous. And then all of a sudden, God just kind of took over. Dr. J used to perform abortions. And he has a great story that I'm going to have him come sometime after we get moved in the new building. I'm going to have him come and share his full story of how God worked in his life to move him from being a doctor who had performed abortions to being a doctor who stands for the cause of Christ. But he dropped a, a statement. He said, he said, I ask ladies when they come in, he says a lot of times they come in and they're frantic and, they're, and they're, they don't know what to do and, and sometimes um, parents come with them and they're they're wanting them to get an abortion because the parents don't want to have to deal with it either. They want it to go away. And, and he said, I always ask them this, what did you believe before this happened? What did you believe before this? I, I didn't have anybody really to ask me that at that point in time because 
Um, we were trying to deal with this on our own before we told my parents, and but we knew, I, I just knew, guys, it is important what you teach your children. It is important what you communicate to them from a very early age because even though I was terrified of what was going to happen, I knew that we couldn't go down that path. You see, if, if we'd gone down that path, tonight there's a church in State College, Pennsylvania called Center Church, C-E-N-T-R-E. It's called Center Church. There's a church in, in State College, Pennsylvania that wouldn't have that young lady right there standing leading worship for their congregation. Some 24 you know, years ago, if we had made that decision, and there's a church sitting right there, that she wouldn't be standing up in front of. I wouldn't have a son-in-law that'd be standing back there playing a bass guitar and singing, leading another body of Christ before the throne. You see, because it is His breath that's in our lungs. It is His breath that you breathe. When it comes to this idea of sanctity of life from a, from a biblical perspective and in our society and in our world, there's three objections that people usually have to life. The first one will be, it's my choice. The second one is, it's my body. And the third one is usually, it's not a life. And so I want to I talk about these three things. From God's perspective, I always tell you, you don't need my opinion. I'll tell you my story, but you don't need my opinion. We just need to know what God's opinion is and what God's Word says. Here's, here's three truths about life from God. All life is created by God. All life is valued by God. And all life is sustained by God. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 says, So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created him. In Colossians 1, verses 16 and 17, it says, For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things. And in Him, all things hold together. What a powerful Scripture that all things were created through Christ, being the Him. All things were created through Christ, and all things were created for Christ. It's not created for us. 
You know, we enjoy, I hope, we enjoy our spouses, we enjoy our friends, we enjoy our family, but they weren't created for you. That's right. You weren't created for them. People say, oh, you know, I mean, she was just made for me. I understand your, what you're trying to say. I understand your sentiment and your romantic thought. And we're coming up on February, you know, we're going to do some neat stuff around here, you know, for all that and all that. But I know what you're thinking. I understand, and I don't disagree with your sentiment on, but, but they weren't created for you, and you weren't created for them, and nothing was created about being for our consumption, per se. It was created for Christ. It was created through Christ, and it was created for Christ. Why? Because He, because the Godhead, God deserves glory, and He deserves honor, and He deserves praise, and He deserves worship. And so I, I, I remember years ago I, I, I did a series uh, when we lived in Indiana. I did a series at a church based on a, a message from Jonathan Edwards where he talks about why it is that, that man was created, the end and the purpose for which man was created. We were created for Him. All things were created through Him and for Him. And when I think about that and say, you were created, I was created for God. And He is before us, before all things. And in Him all things hold together. Sometimes when we look at our lives and, and we think about that it looks like things are falling apart, but yet when we are in Christ, then all things are being held together according to Him and in Him. Even when it seems like things are, are coming apart at the seams, but yet He is still holding your life together. Because it is through Him that we were created. It is for Him that we were created. He is before us and in Him all things are held together. Amen. We start going down this path. We get to that first statement. It's my, it's my choice. This, this idea, it's been twisted to become an idea of one person that makes a choice about another person. But then our society figured out that, that even that is not defensible. Uh, so we have to make the other person not be a person. We have, to, we have to twist this to make the unborn not become a person anymore. But I want to share with you what the Word of God says about choices. Deuteronomy chapter 30 verses 19 and 20 says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live. Live doing what? Loving the Lord your God, obeying His voice, and holding fast to Him, for He is your life. He is your life and length of days that you may dwell in the land, swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give them. Listen, to He says, I call all of creation, heaven and earth, I call it to witness 
I call it to pay attention. He says, I call it to witness against you today. The idea, the visual is, he says, I'm, I'm laying a choice before you. If you want to say it's my choice, he says, I'm laying a choice before you. And I call all of creation to witness the choice that you're going to make. And so I lay before you life and I lay before you death. It's, this is a concept. I don't know if this is in part of an actual story, but the, 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 the principle of God is here. I lay before you life and death. I lay before you blessing and curse. And I give you a choice. And he says, so choose life. Choose life. That you and your offspring may live and you, then as, as a result of that that you'll be loving the Lord your God. You'll obey His voice. You'll hold fast to Him. Why? Because He is your life. It's why that people can have nothing material. It's why people can, can, can be destitute of physical things and yet have joy. Why? Because that is not our life. How nice your car is is not your life. How nice your clothes are is not your life. Got a job, don't have a job, need a job, need a better job is not your life. He is your life. And He is your length of days. Joshua, the one, we, we, this one's so familiar to us. Joshua 24 and 15 Joshua looks at the people of Israel and he says, if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, then choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. You know what one of the things is that's underlying this when it comes to sanctity of life? People outside of the God of Israel, these other gods demanded sacrifices of children. It's one of the things that happened in so many of them. They would take their already born children and put them in the fire and sacrifice them and burn them to these other gods. He said, is this the kind of God that you're going to serve? When you say it's my choice to destroy this child, it's as if you're the people of Israel serving these other gods that called on them to sacrifice their children for the worship of that God. What's the God that we worship today when we do this? It's inconvenience. I don't want to be inconvenienced. I don't want my life to change. I don't want people to know my pride, my ego, my personal self-satisfaction and gratification. All of these things become the gods that we worship and sacrifice our children to. And Joshua said, if it's evil in your eyes to serve God, then choose. If you want to say it's my choice, then here is the choice. Choose whether you will serve God who is the God of life. Or whether you will serve these other gods, these other things in your life that will call you to sacrifice everything in your life in order to serve them. Joshua said, but as for me and my house, and I feel that verse. Because I still remember and I don't want God to ever let me forget. I still remember what it was like to be sitting there and hearing people say, you guys could just have an abortion. And I knew if we did it, I wouldn't have to tell my parents. Nobody would ever have to know. Choose. That's why I tell you that it's so important what you teach your children.
Because in that moment, the conflict that was in me would have been so simple for my heart to be pulled and say, yeah, let's do that and nobody have to know. But because something had been instilled in me, something, a seed had been planted I'm so thankful that God showed mercy and grace to let me be able to say I'm scared to death but it's for me and my house. We're going to serve God. This choice is a spiritual choice. It's not a matter of convenience. It's not a matter of disruption or preparedness or desire or or future plans it's none of those things it's really it's a spiritual choice as I was thinking through this next question really man it really tore at me not not because but I began to think about the scripture that I was going to share with you See, our, our world has decided to make this where that it's uh, a control thing. It's, you're not going to control me. You're not going to tell me. I don't, I don't personally, I don't want to control anybody. I, I couldn't have stopped Michelle from making a decision. Side note, this is a, this is a side freebie political thought if you want it. But amazingly, I couldn't have stopped her, but I'd have been on the hook for 18, 19, 20, 21 years, however long, until you stop paying child support or whatever. If she hadn't, I mean, she could have made the decision, but I'd have been on the hook. Just think about that for a little bit. You know, it's my choice, but, but yet, okay, that's sorry. Political, political thought, just for you. It's, it's how odd and backwards our society is. I'll choose you pay. I'll choose you be responsible. If I decide I don't want to be responsible, then I can. But if you. But what does the Bible say about this concept of it's everybody? This is tied into our message series that we started two weeks ago and did last week because we talked about justice. Justice giving rights to those that that it's what they deserve. Our society's reached a point where we've become so focused on ourselves, on our own rights, and the things that we feel belong to us. But I want you to know this. When life becomes cheap, hear me on this. In context of what we talked about last week, when life becomes cheap, then so does any idea of improving it for others, easing the burdens, or eliminating poverty. Just look at our society when life becomes cheap, then why do I care? If I'm willing for life to be ended, why am I worried about your life getting any better? Why am I worried about helping eliminate poverty in your life? I mean, because life's cheap. It, look around the world where people are willing to cut people's heads off and, and, and just kill indiscriminately. Life becomes cheap. Who cares that people are starving? Who cares that people are doing I don't have Because life is cheap. He said, this is not, we go back to that this is, for, for people of faith, we have to go back to what the heart of this is, and it is all about a spiritual matter. This is not about women. This is not about men. It's not about sex. 
It's not about pregnancy. It's really not any of those things. This is about that the Bible says that, that the enemy comes to steal, to kill, and destroy, but God comes that you might have life and have it more abundantly. So the contrast is death and stealing and taking from you. This other one, this idea of life, that is all about representing God. So if He can destroy life... We, we heard a great message preached in a revival one time. And I, I, I've loved it and, and Save a Life has used it ever since then. But we heard a guy say, he said, remember the Bible says, we read it in Genesis 1, that you were created in God's image. So the enemy loves to destroy people. He loves the idea of abortion because it destroys the thing that every time it comes into this world, it is the image of God coming into this physical existence. If life becomes cheap, and so, so why are we surprised when we devalue life and then we wonder how come that people don't want to do anything for the poor? How come people don't want to do things for people that are disadvantaged? Why does there seem to be more of, a, uh, of an attitude of, uh, of, of no concern, of, of being calloused over toward those who are in need? Because when life becomes cheap, who cares about improving it if you're willing to end it? It's a change in how we feel and how we believe and how we act. But what did God say when it came to this idea of this is my body? What example did Jesus set? Luke chapter 22, verses 19 through 20. And He took bread. When He had given thanks, He broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Jesus once said, it's my body. We have a biblical example of someone saying, it's my body. And Jesus' next statement was given for you. Another account of this in Matthew chapter 26, verses 26 through 28. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it all to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I don't disagree. I don't disagree with anyone. It's your body. It's just that Jesus set an example. And Jesus in protecting all of us, in protecting all of us from an eternity that would be destined to put us into darkness and, 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 and torture and, and pain and torment as the payment for our sins because the wages of sin is death and the gift of God is eternal life in Christ. That, it, it's clear that, that that's all there. But Jesus, in order to protect us from that, 
said, this is my body. This is my body. But I'm going to bear the stripes for your healing. I'm going to let them put a crown of thorns on me. Because they may mock, but I truly am the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I'm going to lay down and I'm going to, I'm going to be pierced and wounded for your transgressions. I'm going to be bruised for your iniquities. By His stripes we are healed. Jesus said, yeah, it's my body. And I gave it for you. You know what I think is one of the most beautiful things out of every, when it comes to every mother. Every, every mother. And it may be, it may be that you're not only, maybe you don't have a, a child that's alive. Maybe it was that, that you had a, a stillborn birth. Maybe it was that you had a miscarriage. But you were willing. Literally. For your body. To be stretched and changed and even broken. Given. For that child. It happened. I was thinking through this idea when it comes to our body. Who but Jesus loves the sinner and calls him friend? Who but Jesus loves the lowly and the cast aside. Who but Jesus touches the leper when others withdraw? Who but Jesus makes a wretch his chosen bride? Who but Jesus dwelt among us, took on flesh, pain, and sorrow? Who but Jesus hung on a cross beside thieves? Who but Jesus gave his body for another? Sometimes what makes it easier is to say, well, it's, it's not a life. For those who are of faith, this is one of the most easy, easily defended statements. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nation. Psalms 139 verses 13 through 16. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. Ephesians 2 and 10, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I'll get us back there. For we are His workmanship. I thought of this 
Uh, we've watched the video uh, early on. Um, I, I preached a message, and we watched a video from Jefferson Bethke about masterpiece. And one statement that he said always stuck in my mind, and it, and it kind of applies with a little bit of a transition here. Who are we to tear down another man's work? Every child, every person. All right, look, look around the room for a minute. Look around the room. Look and, look and make some eye contact with some people. I know it's going to make you nervous. Get the glare off of Dennis's head. And you... All right, you realize everybody that you just saw, including yourself, you're God's unique workmanship. God created you. He shaped you. He formed you. He designed you. Now, we may look and go, you know, hey, what, I'd like to lose some weight and all that stuff. Whiny kind. <laughs> look, that's your choice. All right? That's how you used what God built. That's <laughs> how I used what God's built. But God made you, the person that you are. He decided whether you were going to have great vision or not great vision, great hearing, not great hearing, keep your hair, not keep your hair. I mean, all this stuff. <laughs> he designed it. He designed you. He made you. If we could walk through the maternity ward and step by those windows, I remember, I remember both times, you know, look in and see your kids. How many of you ever, you looked through the window and you saw your kid in there in the little, you know, the little thing and, yeah. And you know how dads are. I remember my dad and I standing out in the hall, you know. And I, I mean, you know, but if there's other dads, you're like, you know, hey, which one's yours? <laughs> you know, that's mine right over there. Oh, the one screaming. <laughs> you know. No, you know. I mean, man, you just, you had that, you had that pride. And, and you didn't really, they're not really your workmanship. Right, let's be honest. I mean, you don't know what's going to happen. You, it's not like you specifically designed them and formed them and all that stuff. But you're proud of them. Yeah, that's my kid right there. That, that one right? Yeah, that one's, oh, look, see, he's got a, oh, yeah, 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 look. Oh, I think he saw me. <laughs> you know? You're God's workmanship. That's what he said. You're created in Christ. For good works which God prepared beforehand. In other words, before you were born, before you ever came to Christ, before you had that relationship, God had already created things He expected you to walk in. Luke chapter 12, verses 6 through 7. He says, There are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, and not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you're of more value than many sparrows. Now, I want you to, I want you to understand something. You've got to keep this in balance. Now, it's not like all of a sudden we took on this far greater you know, position in the grand scheme of things because remember, although we say, well, look, God, you're His workmanship and all that stuff, but remember what He also said. He said that all things were created through Him and for Him. So God has uniquely designed you not just to be you, 
Not just, oh, hey, wow, look at that one. They're really, they're fantastic. Let me put them over here. No, God created you and made you unique and plugged you in a place for him. Job spoke this, Job chapter 12, verse 10. It says, in his hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. This one kind of floors me. Isaiah 49, verse 16. It's the first portion of verse 16. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. There's an amazing truth. Very simple. God had a plan for your life before time even began. You start and go... Yeah, but could God have seen this coming? But could God have seen this when this happened, you know, five years ago, ten years ago, last month? Maybe what's going to happen in two weeks? Yeah. And yet you're still his masterpiece. You're still his creation. He still holds your breath. He still has chosen, for some reason, to so love the world that he only sent his only begotten son, but, but it's all done for him. As I mentioned earlier, life matters so much. Life matters. This life matters. He said, he came, he died so that you could have life and have it more abundantly. Oh, wait, is it, man, he's saying then so that I'll enjoy and that we'll have a bigger house and we'll have a better car. I went, no, no, because that's not life. Because we read that scripture where it said, he is your life and your length of days. He says, I came so that you will have life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is your life. I came that you could have life and have it more abundantly. I came that you could have more of Him, for it is in Him that you live and you breathe, you move, you have your being. It's in Christ. It's not in cars. It's not in homes. It's not in bank accounts. It's not in ills. It's not in whether we're well or whether we're sick. All of those things that we get in our minds that are our idea of success, that are our idea of this is the good life. And yet when we pass from this life and we stand before God, not a one of those things is going to be there beside us for us to go, look God, I had the good life. Instead, we're going to stand before Him. And it's really going to be a matter of do you have life? The life. Came that you might have life. Life matters. The sanctity of life matters. You say, wait, but what about this situation? Wait a minute. Life matters. 
Well, what about in the case of rape? What about an incest? I understand. Life still matters. When you run up on this person on the street and you're going to share the gospel, does it matter that they were born and somebody wanted them? Does it matter that they were born and somebody didn't want them? Does it matter that they were born out of a rape situation? You say, wait a minute, that's insensitive. No, I'm telling you, I, I can't imagine the pain and the emotional trauma and all those things. I, I, I can't. I, I would not dare to disrespect and say that I in any way could understand and comprehend that. Never. I, I wouldn't. But life is still valuable. But God still is the giver of life. But God is still the one that can cause all things to work together for good to those that love the Lord. See, we like, we like those verses when we apply them to things like a job change. We like those verses when it comes to, well, my car broke down, but then somebody gave me a better car. See, everything works together for good. We don't like them when we have to go, but wait a minute, what about, what about this situation? What about this that caused physical trauma? What about this that caused a loss? What about this that caused emotional distress? And What about those things? God doesn't say, I, I'm going to cause everything to happen in order to be good, but He can take the things that happen. And make something good. Joseph stands in Egypt. Looks at his brothers. And essentially says what you meant for evil. God then meant for good. It's so, it's so, it's so frustrating for our enemy. When he tries to cause the turmoil. And the hurt and the pain. And then the, in this situation then the abortion. And yet, someone holds true the truth of God's Word. And they said, no. I don't know how, I don't see, even if I have to place a child for adoption or whatever because of the pain, but I'm not going to give up on life. What about those who have made the choice? And went down that path and ended a life. I have great news for you. God still forgives. God still heals. God still mends the broken. God still reaches out to those. It hasn't changed, it hasn't stopped. It isn't any different. He's not any weaker because of the situation. You say, well, I'm ashamed. Hey, I, I, I hear you. I think there are many people, because of our sins and because of things that we've done and the lifestyles that we lived or whatever, none of us are proud of the things that have been done wrong in our lives. Sometimes that that pain and that, that hurt simply drives us back to our need for God. And I'm going to keep saying it as long as probably I'm alive and preaching. 
out of that study. But we're all broken. We're all impoverished. But Jesus comes along and says, I can make you whole. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word and I thank you for your promises. I thank you that on a day when around our nation, many, many bodies of believers will be remembering the true sanctity of life and the fact that you are the one who gives life. God, I'm thankful that that you were the guide on the path for me at 17 years old, just one year older than my own son today. And God, it scares me to death. And so I look back and I am so grateful because without you, I know there is no way. But God, then I stop and I say, well, well, that's a, that's a great that's a great story. That's, but what about those who didn't make that choice? And God, then I go into your word. And I see that your blood can wash away all things. God, I see your hand of forgiveness and your, your desire to love. But God, in that moment, then I pray for the church. Because sometimes we have a tendency to get judgmental if it's not our sin. We have a tendency to not be sensitive and we have a tendency to maybe think a little more highly of ourselves than we ought to in regards to someone else. And so God, I pray for your body all over this world that we would remember that we all were broken. That we all are impoverished. And it is only through Christ because we are made through Him and for Him. And by Him all things are held together. So God, I pray that You bind us together. Whether in an area where one has hurt, another may minister healing. And the one that has received healing may minister back in a different area to the one who extended grace and mercy and love and support. That we become a body of believers right here in this place that holds together with each other. And that looks to the one solution to it all, your son Jesus Christ. So God, I thank you and I praise you because you do cause all things to work together for good to those that love you and are called according to your purpose.